Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Unravelling a crime is always problematic for any detective. When the corpse of the victim is frozen, an added degree of difficulty is added. And this is how Orsa Lawson's novel, The Black Path, opens with the discovery of a body. Her eyes were open and had frozen to ice, so they were completely white, like frosted glass. Orsa, welcome to 3CR. Thank you. Now, The Black Path opens, as one would expect, for what is a crime fiction or a detective novel, but what you investigate in many ways is something completely different. It's the psychology of people. Would you agree or...? How would you classify your book? I think I would classify my book more as an atmospheric crime. It's very tightly connected to the northern part of Sweden, where I come from and where all my books take place. I mean, I see this more as a a psychological fiction or a... You delve into the psyche of people. Would you say Sweden is responsible for that depth of thinking in terms of delving into the mindset of the people? I think that maybe the landscape and maybe the climate makes us a little more not so outspoken and maybe not so sociable because I think that weather and the cold climate affects us as a people. A good word for that might be introverted. So <laughs> Thank you. Going, going inward, mm. basically, is, is what it does. The detective, Anna Maria Meller, and the attorney, Rebecca Martinson, who partner in solving this crime, are in some ways, uh, well, respectively ordinary and flawed. I mean, Meller is a housewife. And Martinson has just been released from a psychiatric clinic and she's battling her own demons. They're not the typical crime fiction people that solve problems. They have their own problems in many ways. That's really true. They solve their own problems uh, and the sort of uh, murder problem or investigation parallel. Uh, And Rebecca Martinson certainly... Well, she is a a person who has sort of lost herself, I think, in this uh, middle, upper middle class, mid-Swedish lawyer world. She comes from this small mining community up north and she doesn't really belong in this lawyer world. But when she returns home, she doesn't really belong there either. And she is a person definitely who works instead of trying to deal with her own problems. Well, I'm just, if I may, going to read out a little extract to give the listeners an indication of Rebecca's mindset. She stood there leaning against the car. Grief overwhelmed her, as if it were some creature that had been lying in wait for her to get out of the car. That's how it always was. She was always unprepared. Why can't I be happy? Happy that I had them for as long as I did. Nothing is forever. God, it's so long ago. You can't grieve forever. There really is something wrong with me. The therapist's words echoed in her ears. Perhaps you've never grieved properly. Perhaps it's time. She was glad she'd given up seeing the therapist, but she missed the Cipramil. 
Perhaps she should not have come off it. Musings of this kind had been easier when she was on medication. The most difficult feeling never quite made it to the surface. It had been nice not to feel as fragile as an eggshell. She pulled off one glove and felt beneath her eyes. No, she was not crying. It was just her breathing, as if she had been running fast, bitterly cold air in her lungs. Just calm down, she told herself. Calm down. Don't go hurrying across to Fjallborg and Bella. They can't help you. She thought of going in, but stood there, unsure if she was about to lock the car, if she had left a bag somewhere, and what the key in her hand was for. It'll pass, she said to herself. You're not to lie down in the snow. It always passes, but not this time, said a voice inside her. This time the darkness is coming. It was the car key she had in her hand. She locked the door. She managed to pick up her laptop and her mulberry briefcase. They were by her feet. She walked over to the house. On the way up the steps, she grabbed a fistful of snow from the railings and held it to her face. The key to the house is in the bag. Put it in the lock. Turn it. Take the key out. Open the door. She was inside. Half an hour later, she felt much better. She had lit the fire, and she heard it suddenly catch as the chimney drew and the wood began to crackle. What's going through her mind here? It's sort of I've forgotten I, I wrote that. It was such a long time ago. Uh, but she has a panic I- attack, I think. This sudden anxiety that you know, can come over you. And if you have them, you know, a, f- a few times, you know that they will pass. And I think, isn't that always when you have bad periods in life, you know that you will feel better in the morning, at least a little, and you just struggle through it. And that is what she does. And I think also that she's healed by moving back to her home village, living in the house where she lived as a child. And that does something for her, moving back there, uh, living next to the river and having her, oh, this sounds creepy, but kind of, you know, having her dead grandmother sort of close to her. Well, having the past that can support you and underpin what you're thinking. I mean, I was reading that more as a sense of contemplation of suicide, depression at the very least, of what was going through her mind, because some of your characters are really psychologically damaged in many ways. The profiles and the behaviour of the criminal element that you have here are equally important and become the focus of the novel, more so than in some ways the solving, the immediate solving of the crime. It's solving the psychology of the characters. There's Inna Watrang. She has a voice like a 30s movie star and blows out smoke like a little train. It is as if she comes from another time. Um, How would you describe Inna? Well, I think she's more of a social genius opposite to my protagonist, Rebecca. You know, she can hang out with anyone and she works closely to this company leader who buys mines all over the world and Ina took a lot of research for me to write about because I have friends who are from the upper class and I had to talk to them, you know, about, so how are your family dinners and how do you live uh, and what do you talk about uh, over Christmas dinner? So I had a lot of help with Ina Vatrang. But she's also promiscuous. Oh, yes, that's true. 
But I think in a sort of natural way. You've got her brother, Didi. What sort of character is he? Well, I guess he's the family failure. There's a, there's a little line here. He is not a natural student, but the pressure from home has been considerable both on him and on his teachers. Mm. <laughs> Ina and Didi, they team up with Maori Kalis because he's just brilliant at doing business. And he and Maori becomes their meal ticket, while as they give Maori the glamour, the, the help him with uh, achieving this position in social life that he really needs, and that is all that he is really striving for. What yes. do you say? Well, he, what, what he's striving for, for what he's what he needs, mm. but it's the interplay between these three characters which is really, in many ways, the crime, if I can put it like that. Yes, you're right. Because it's how if if they hadn't all three got together, crime wouldn't have occurred. And it's the psychology of each of those characters that you explore all the way through that explains why they are and why the crime has taken place. So the solving of the crime is not who did it, but how it was brought about. The depth there is is remarkable. But you have Maury Callis, who really is damaged goods. His background and family life and upbringing make him rather antisocial in, in many ways. A sociopath, would you say, go that far? Well, I don't really know. I think, aren't we all damaged goods, more or less? Uh, how important is the role of being a journalist for you, the role of being this successful author for me? How much of your identity have you invested in your position uh, in the social community? And what are you prepared to do to protect that or protect yourself from losing it? I think that is interesting isn't that the death sin uh, called vain? Do you say vain in English? Being vain, yes. yes. I think it's all about that. Who are you when you lose all of this stuff around you? But there's another interesting character that you have in your novel, Esther Callis. How would you describe her? Well, she is a very young artist and she is Sami. In the northern part of Sweden and Norway and Finland, we have the Sami people. They were there before we came and, and sort of occupied the land and built houses and, and mines. And they um, have uh, reindeer. Some of them are traditionally fishermen and nomads from the beginning. And they are people who have lost their identity. And now Esther is this young Sami artist who struggles with being a, exactly that, a Sami artist, because that marginalizes the interest from the public for you as an artist. Are you an artist that can communicate uh, and have a relevance for everyone, or are you just an exotic Sami artist? So that is kind of what I was interested in with her. And she always, uh, also, she doesn't look Sami because she is adopted from India. And uh, the idea for, for her came when I visited Sami friends of mine and met their adopted daughter. And she brought in muffins and I looked at her and I thought, oh, I, I wonder how, how she coped in, in the little village school here up north where they uh, lived. And 
then the story of Esther just started um, you know, to come to me. But Esther, as a Sami, has qualities that go beyond the ordinary. What are they? Well, she can see things before they happen and, and she can sometimes see dead people. And, and, you know, that sounds like I have written a ghost story. But honestly, in my part of Sweden, that is not a strange thing. And I think that is because we live very close to the Sami culture. If you walk through the woods around my hometown, you come to different places that are holy for the Sami people. And there, the dead ancestors, uh, they are there to meet you if you want to talk to them, if you if are in need. You should always behave when you walk or, or travel through these areas of the woods. You must not talk too loud. You mustn't run. You must uh, be very respectful. And I think that culture has an influence also on the, the Swedish culture in, in the north. So talking to dead relatives or, or having, uh, you know, knowing things before they happen, it's not such a weird thing. But here is the weird thing in that Esther saves Mari. I mean, Mari's the most damaged of individuals and responsible in many ways for the crime, but he's saved by Esther. What are you suggesting there? Well, I think that in the crime genre, you have the myth going on all the time. And our myth in in the Western world is the Christian myth. So the thing of sacrifice, punishment, giving your life for your brother. We stopped going to church in Sweden and started reading crime. I think that is one explanation for that, that the, the human always need the myth. So we find it now in, in, in our stories. But the myth is, in many ways, that the bad will survive. Well, turning again to the Christian myth, we bad do survive because Jesus Christ gave his life. Uh, so, so you have that in our myth as well. And the only thing that can redeem us, going into theological terms, is sacrifice from somebody else. Mm. So it, that fits, yes. The other thing that's fascinating about your writing is the many forms you use. Uh, for example, the book opens with an extract from a psychiatric report, extract from Case Notes, 12th September 2003, regarding patient Rebecca Martinson. Reason for contact, patient admitted to Kiruna Hospital with facial injuries after a fall and trauma to head. You also then employ interviews, uh, flashbacks, and you weave these all together so that the reader can actually build up a profile of the characters. I mean, how easily are you able to control that as a writer or how difficult is it to control as a writer? Thank you for, for noticing that. I decided when I started writing that I would try to avoid writing from the author who knows everything perspective. And when you decide not to do that, he was a man in his 50s, so forth, you, ha you have to look at people from the view of other people or maybe, maybe from a medical journal or a police interrogation. You're juggling these forms as a writer. Do you ever lose control of that or not? Yes, all the time. The other interesting thing, of course, is the timeline. The murder mystery is over one week, basically, and yet you 
go over time, you uh, the flashbacks, you go back generations so that we can build up this profile. So you've got all sorts of uh, threads uh, running through the text, providing that backdrop. I mean, w- what is provided by that extensive by the extensive nature of that backdrop? I think that is a theme that you meet over in the crime genre, how actions from long ago have an impact on what is happening today. The sins of your father. uh, The sins of your father really account for what you do or not? Or do we have control over them? Well, you mean if we have a choice or if we are, what do you call it, when the decision has made long before you how you will live your life? Well, predestined. Predestined. I think that is something that crime novelists do discuss. Are we, the, is the villain a victim of circumstance, upbringing, you know, the generations before him? Do you have a responsibility for your actions? And I think that is... That is what the myth is for, to tell a good story, an interesting story, like like it's done in the Old Testament. You have a brilliant action story, but within that you put people in places where you hopefully will never end up yourself. Difficult moral choices and difficult situations. And with the help of your imagination, you can then think, what would I have done? What if that child would have been my own? So I think that is one of the most important uh, functions of the crime genre, that it gives us an opportunity to make moral choices that hopefully we will never have to make in our daily life. But, you know, just contemplating on the human uh, condition and also putting yourself in your brother's shoes, in your brother's place. So who do you identify with most then? Anna Maria as the housewife or Rebecca Martinson, the lawyer, psychologically damaged lawyer? (laughs) I, I think that when I began writing, I identified most with Rebecca, the thing about her, you know, feeling like an underdog, returning to her hometown, not feeling at ease anywhere. But as time goes, I I get more and more like Anna Maria Mella with her family life and all of that. Osa, thank you very much for coming in today. The book is The Black Pass and it's from McElhose Press. So thank you very much and I hope you enjoy your time in Melbourne.